Listen to this reading from 1 Corinthians 12. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of the spirits to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Spirit of God, our creator and our comforter, speak to us now, we pray, and help us to hear your voice. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I lay awake last night listening to the helicopters and the sirens and the occasional shouts and loud pops, feeling overwhelmed, really, by the heaviness of our current moment and feeling somewhat at a loss for words. Beyond Lord have mercy and how long, O Lord, I struggle to know what to pray right now, much less preach. This is the great feast day of Pentecost, when we remember and celebrate this great climactic victorious moment when Jesus, after dying, rising, and ascending into heaven, takes his throne at the right hand of the Father and receives the gift of the Holy Spirit at his heavenly coronation, and then gives that gift to his people in an amazing and irreversible act of new creation that gives birth to the church as the living body of Christ on earth, this people of God infused with the very life of God, animated by the power of heaven, and given the distinguished mission of sharing that gift with the world. Pentecost is a day symbolized by the dove, reminiscent of the spirits brooding like a dove over the waters at creation and descending like a dove upon Jesus at his baptism. It's symbolized by fire, the spirits descending like tongues of fire on the disciples in Jerusalem at Pentecost and igniting a new movement of God's mission on the earth. And it's symbolized by wind, the words for spirit in both the Hebrew and Greek scriptures being the same words used for wind and breath. The spirit is often characterized as the wind of God that blows across the earth and fills our sails, or the breath of God that fills both our lungs and our souls with life. Yet the dove, a well-known emblem of peace, it, it feels like a foreign flag right now in the midst of all the violence, 
the racial injustice and the division that characterize our world. Fire feels like a strange symbol to invoke in a positive way as the smoke still lingers over Center City, Philadelphia in the wake of so much destruction last night. And wind, breath, how do we celebrate the gift of God's life-giving breath while the haunting phrase, I can't breathe, still rings in our ears and floods our collective consciousness after watching the chilling, gut-wrenching footage of George Floyd's murder under the knees of those entrusted to serve and protect? What does the Feast of Pentecost mean in a moment such as this? Well, as I lay awake last night, I was reminded of the words of the late theologian James Cone, who in his landmark work, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, offers some really profound meditations on how the hope of Christ actually touches the ground in a world ravaged by racial injustice and violence. Cone, an African-American who grew up in the Jim Crow South in Arkansas, a lynching state, writes this toward the end of his life. He writes, the cross helped me to deal with the brutal legacy of the lynching tree. And the lynching tree helped me to understand the tragic meaning of the cross. The cross is a paradoxical religious symbol because it inverts the world's value system with the news that hope comes by way of defeat, that suffering and death do not have the last word, and that the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And as I reflected on Cone's words, it began to dawn on me that maybe the question that I and perhaps we need to wrestle with isn't just about how the hope of Pentecost speaks into our current situation, but how listening to our current situation and to our neighbors and their experience of our current situation might help us understand more fully the hope of Pentecost itself, this hope that God has implanted in us and in the world. God's gift of the spirit that we celebrate at Pentecost is a gift made possible only by way of the victory of our crucified Savior. Jesus, the Son of God and Savior of the world, was, so to speak, a lynched man, delivered into the hands of an angry mob and an unjust government, an innocent man detained, beaten, mocked, and then hung on a tree until he couldn't breathe, a spectacle to be ridiculed and shamed. This is the world God entered to save. This is the burden God bore for our sake. This is the human skin God chose to be clothed in. Behold the man, Jesus Christ, the blessed Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The gift of the Spirit of life comes to us only by way of His unjust death. And therein lies the great mystery of the hope of Pentecost. By his wounds we are healed, but that healing comes only through sharing in his wounds. By his life we live, but that life comes to us and others only as we participate in his death. And this must have been as confusing and disappointing to the first generation of Christians as it is to us today, because this gift of the Spirit was what God's people had been longing for and hoping for forever. The prophets of old spoke of a future day of the Lord when God would finally visit his people and establish his kingdom of justice and peace, and the signature mark of that day would be the giving of God's Spirit 
to all God's people. So in their minds, God's giving of the Spirit was supposed to come at the end of history, at the same time as God's making all things right in the world. But of course, we know that's not how the story goes. The great surprise ending to the story is that God comes to visit his people not at the end of history, but in the middle of it. Jesus dies and rises and presses start, so to speak, on God's new creation future before bringing a full end to the story of old creation, this creation that lies captive to suffering, evil, and death. The surprise and mystery of Pentecost is that God has planted his spirit of life in the soil of a world and a people who are complicated, who are conflicted and afflicted, who are complicit in evil, who have all sorts of blind spots, who are more able to see the unrighteousness in others than in themselves, who are biologically hardwired to kill instead of being killed, and who ultimately cannot escape death. And the church that is born at Pentecost, this family of God baptized in God's spirit is given not only the incredible privilege of receiving the great gift of the spirit, but also the high calling and responsibility of sharing that gift with a world desperate for justice, love, and peace. The church is given this task, as missiologist Leslie Newbegin says, of being a sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's kingdom and in the world. And this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in this passage that we just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul casts a vision for the church, rich diversity grounded in robust unity a diversity of gifts, services, and activities, all flowing from the same source, the same spirit, the same Lord, for the same purpose, the common good. It's also a diversity of cultures, ethnicities, races, languages, and socioeconomic locations, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free persons, all baptized into one body made to drink of one spirit, all belonging to God and to one another as equally dignified members of God's family, regardless of what the world says about the superiority or supremacy of some over others. In the body of Christ, there are to be no second-class citizens, only God's beloved children who share equally in the life of the family. And that's actually one of the problems Paul is writing to address in the church in Corinth. It's just that they weren't letting that this vision transform their life together fully. In earlier parts of the letter, we discover that the Corinthian church was letting worldly divisions creep into the church and corrupt its unity. Diversity was taking the form of factions. Their communion together was being disrupted by worldly divisions along the lines of social status, where privileged members of higher status were treating other members of the community, not according to their equality in Christ, but according to their difference, according to Greco-Roman social norms. And Paul says, no, this is not of the Lord. This is not the kind of life Jesus died to give you in his spirit. You've been given something far too precious to waste on an ugly worldliness like that. You have been given the spirit and the gifts of God. You have been invited to the dance whose beauty will transform the world and you're settling for less than what is good for you or your neighbors. 
And the only way that beauty shines forth is when you all dance together. That's the calling of the church. The gifts given to you in the spirit are for the common good, not for your own personal gain at the expense of another. Comparison, as they say, is the thief of joy, and that's true not only because of how joyless it is to be stuck in envy, but because of how comparison turns a joy-giving dance of mutuality into a joy-sucking competition between adversaries. And what Paul is getting at here in this section is less about providing a comprehensive or normative list of blessings or gifts that Christians at all times and places should expect to see operative in their communities of faith. It's more about teasing out the varied diversity of gifts that God dishes out to be shared by his people for everyone's sake. In other words, Paul wants his readers to engage this list not primarily concerned with having spiritual gifts, but with being a spiritual gift in the real places where we live, in our real relationships, in our real neighborhoods, in our real workplaces, in our real families, in our real social and political contexts. God gives good gifts to his children and to his world, and he has given the world you. He has given you also the other people in your life. And so a question for us to wrestle with is just this, what does it look like to be you? truly and fully you for the sake of the common good. And as a community, what does it look like for us to be us, truly and fully us for the common good of our city and world? And what does it look like for us to receive as a gift the other people God brings into our lives, especially those who challenge us to become more like Jesus than we are already? Wrestling with these questions, I think, is an essential piece of what it looks like for us to engage our privilege and calling to be recipients and stewards of this great gift of God's Spirit in the midst of a world that is parched for new life, struggling to breathe, and desperately in need of something more beautiful, more powerful, and more compelling than the rage and hatred that growl within us and are always ready to divide and devour. The fire of Pentecost is not a destructive fire. Rather, it is one that ignites a new way of being human in the world, a way of being human modeled for us by our crucified Savior and enlivened in us by the presence and power of God himself. The Spirit is here. He is with us. And perhaps that's the most surprising thing of all about Pentecost that the gift of the Spirit is God's proof to us that his love does not falter in the face of our failure. Rather, the darker the human story gets, the closer God comes to bind himself to us in the midst of it. Even at that darkest turn, when we lynched his son on a cursed tree, he did not recoil from us. He did not condemn or destroy. Rather, he showed us his compassion and he unleashed the full force of heaven to plunder the depths of death and hell, to raise Jesus from the dead and to bring forth from this war-torn soil the promise and possibility of new life, the possibility of justice, the possibility of peace, the possibility of enduring love, of rich diversity grounded in the robust unity of God's beloved family held together by the strength of God's own spirit. 
He made his home among us and he never left. Dietrich Bonhoeffer reminds us of the beautiful reality that our unity in the body of Christ is not something that God leaves up to us to create by our own strength or our ability to get along. Rather, it is something that God has created in Christ. He has made us one, and he calls us to participate in it with him, bearing with those with whom he bears, just as he bears with us in compassion and patience and humility and service and love. Now he invites us to join him at his table, together with all the other people he invites to join him by his grace, to share in that great feast and to extend his gracious gift to the world by being the gift to our neighbors, a sign, instrument, and foretaste of a world set right. Will you live into that calling this week? As we sit in the darkness of this moment that we're in, as we persist in the long slog of our lockdown and distancing in the face of this pandemic, as we sit with our weariness, as we live with our grief, as we bear our own burdens and walk with others through the ones that they are bearing, will you lean into the presence of God? Will you awaken to his love for you? He is enlivening you. He envelops you. He is with you. The Lord is here. His spirit is with you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.